Hello, I'm Alessandro Crolla. I'm Jen Hughes. And you're listening to a Starter Quest Side Quest. Welcome to SideQuest, our bonus show where we use our noob tube to look at other aspects in gaming culture. This episode is meant as a follow-up to our episode 10, where we reviewed Final Fantasy VII. In the aftermath, I told Jen that I would show the sequel movie, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. Yes. Originally, my plan was we would do a little after-credits gag where Jen just comes back and just gives a one-word, two-word opinion. I have more than two words to say about this. Yeah, that's kind of what it became because you had a lot of feelings about this movie. I have lots of feelings about this movie and almost none of them are good. So it's a good thing we've already launched the SideQuest project because it makes a great platform where we can talk about those feelings. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. For those who usually listen to SideQuest, you know, I'm always someone who, you know, tries to see the merit in every text that I discuss. Like, they're considered classic for a reason. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be an absolute bitch on this recording. I'm going to be going full angry video game nerd, so if you don't really like that sort of content, uh, you'll be sadly disappointed. Yes, so if you don't like angry content, this episode's probably not for you. Equally, if you like Final Fantasy VII Children, get help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apologies to the five people who like Advent Children. (laughs) Clearly my brother likes it, he has it on Blu-ray. (laughs) yeah that's where we got it from wasn't it thanks claude so just to be clear we have already watched the movie going into this episode yes this is going to be a much lighter review than we usually do with our full games it's really just for an excuse for us to rag on this movie yeah it is so let's just go straight to the good stuff and ask you what's your opinion on this bum wash what makes this even more aggravating is that there was potential yeah you are working with one of the greatest stories that video games have to offer there are so many different ways to take it and Final Fantasy VII is one of the greatest stories of all time. It's not perfect. There's a lot of lore stuff that is a bit incomprehensible. Mm -hmm. It's very busy. But with something that's that busy, there's potential when you expand upon it and, you know, look a little bit into different aspects of it. Like the themes that were already there in Final Fantasy VII, like environmentalism, exploring identity and what you pass down to the next generations. You can imagine how intensely disappointed I was when I found out how badly all of that was squandered. Advent Children does not stand up on its own as its own movie. It does not even stand up very well as a lore movie. Right. Just for the sake of explaining, let's just quickly recap the whole movie. And I'm not going to go in great detail about this. I want to be as light as we can. Because there's so much convoluted nonsense. Like, there's going to be a lot that we'll be glossing over, but it's fine because it probably doesn't matter. You say that it's convoluted, but I think the complete opposite. This movie says nothing, does nothing, means nothing. And still manages to be convoluted, Sandro. There's like a lot of stuff that's just, it's in the game. So it's like, oh, this person's in the game, but they don't do anything. Just a little production notes on this. This movie is directed by Tetsuya Nomura, who was the character designer on the original Final Fantasy VII. As you elegantly called him, the Belts Guy. <laughs> yeah, because he is, he's the Belts Guy. With the director of Final Fantasy VII, Yoshinori Kitase is now in the producer role for this movie. Right. The back telling the story of what happened next in Final Fantasy VII, a story I didn't realise we didn't need until after I saw this flick. So, 
Here's the plot here. The movie is set two years after the events of the game. Midgar is fucked. So people have set up life just outside its border in a place called Midgar Edge. I mean, before that, right, we have like a recreation of the final scene in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, with Red Thirteen running through the cliffs. Which looks great, but it never comes back. And all it does is that it cuts to 498 years earlier. <laughs> we didn't need it! We did not need that! What the fuck? I think that was the tie-it to the ending of Final Fantasy VII. It was complete fan service, but it didn't do anything. They never came back to that at the end. What makes you think anything in this movie is not just fan service? They could have done something with the fan service. Like, you get good lore movies. Mako energy is seemingly gone, and the world is now assumed to be fueled by nice, non-world-destroying energies, like oil. (laughs) Ah, yes, my favourite beverage. (laughs) Now, I originally wrote that as a joke, until I caught a rewatch you made where Barrett said in a voicemail that he's surveying an oil field. And he's ecstatic to find an oil field. An eco-terrorist! who has been fighting for the environment, is overjoyed to find an oil field. Yes, this is the reason why he won't be showing up till the third act of the movie. He's just so caught up in his oil field. I mean, fuck his daughter, who's a main character in this movie. He's got his oil field. We stopped the Mako, now we can invest in nice, clean oil. (laughs) Yes, the cleanest of all the clean energy. There's a new infection going around town, though, called Geostigma. Brand new skin condition that's caused by Mako exposure and causes death by deathiness. It's basically just the Black Plague except oil. Yeah, but it's not like it's so that it's passed from person to person. It's just these people are ill and they're slowly dying. I thought that Geostigma was like the representation of how, although Midgar was able to rebuild to extent, the overuse of Mako energy has still had consequences even after that. Yeah, like the people who still had coal lung even after the mines closed. Yeah, it's like a human cost. It's not just an infrastructure cost. Mm -hmm. Our party from the game have all split up, including Tifa and Cloud, who were supposed to be living together with Marlene. But Cloud seemingly slipped out for a pack of backy and just never came back home. Yeah. Living with his cool Akira-style motorbike. With his sword pockets. Yeah, I don't remember this bike being in the game. When I was in the game, it just looked like a Harley. This is just this big, comically long bike with about a thousand swords just kind of like sewed into the pockets. Long, long bike! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it looks like some kind of transformer, doesn't it? Yes, and he's also equipped with his actual Panasonic phone. (laughs) Yeah, remember the product placement? Yeah, that is an actual phone you could buy at the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, it looks like nothing we've ever seen now. But back in the day, it was the trendiest phone. It wasn't even trendy back then. (laughs) It just looked like a shitty Motorola. Yeah, this kind of clamshell phone that had like a screen you could twist. Yeah. Cloud gets a call from the Turks who reveal that Rufus didn't die in the weapon attack. I was really fucked off with that. Yeah, it was a nice ending for that character that they've just kind of gone, no, he's okay, he's in a wheelchair and he's all bandaged up, but he's alive. Like, he's the former president of Shinra who caused all of this. It's all, all of this fuckery is their fault. And he died. So, like, in the game, you see the building explode with him in it. There was no chance he was going to survive. And just in case you forgot what happened to Rufus, they show you the scene of him being blown up in the building again. I couldn't get over the fact that Rufus was alive. And he rolls in with his Davros chair 
and he's Emperor <laughs> Palpatine blanky over his head, like, ah, Mr. Cloud, we meet again, so it seems. <laughs> Don't worry, this will all come up in Dirge of Cerberus that you're never going to play. <laughs> Un- unless we are paid enough. <laughs> if we get paid a lot of money, I will play Dirge of Cerberus. I think it was that scene with Rufus where I realised that I hated this movie. Well, that soon in. That soon in. That's only about the 10 minute mark. Felt like longer, but I digress. I felt really strongly about the theme of environmentalism as a really crucial part of Final Fantasy VII. And he really, really hit the nail on the head with it. You know, with Shinra and their overconsumption of Mako and how the geostigma, as far as I saw it, well, that's representation of how sick it has made people. And it is Shinra's fault. It is objectively Shinra's fault that this happened. And there is real room to have like something more complex there. Admittedly, that is covered more in Dirge of Cerberus. Which, again, I'm not to know that. Yes. You'll learn through that game of what Katshi slash Reeve is doing, where they're trying to help Midgar rebuild. But basically the whole thing was, no, it's not my fault. It's Sephiroth's fault. He must be still alive. He must still be meddling with the live stream, even though he's dead. Yeah, that's their excuse as to why Geostigma is happening. It's because of Sephiroth. And you think, oh, maybe this is like Rufus manipulating Cloud and kind of playing into that insecurity and trauma that he's had about Sephiroth. Like, oh God, don't tell me he's still alive you mm-hmm. know, after everything I've been through. But it's actually canon that the Geostigma is Sephiroth and Genova's fault. It's not a direct consequence of our actions. It just, it really annoyed me and it really undercut one of the things that made Final Fantasy VII great. Rufus thinks Sephiroth is coming back thanks to the emergence of these three strange Sephiroth wannabes. I think they're supposed to be clones, but it's not made clear. They don't have numbers. So I think they're just kind of like Sephiroth groupies. The three amigos! <laughs> yes, Kadaj and the other two. Yeah, I think it's uh, Kadaj, Yazoo, and Johnny Blazit. I'm reading online that they're called Loz and Yazoo, but you could have fooled me. I was going to say who would name their character Yazoo, but then I forget. Tetsuya Nomura. Yeah. They're Sephiroth clones who are having a similar identity crisis to Sephiroth and are kind of like almost brothers of Cloud type thing. Like they keep calling him brother which mm-hmm. no sibling actually calls their sibling. Something really interesting could happen from this dynamic with these characters. These three groupies are looking for the Genova cells, which the Turks imply that they still have some and they know where they are. Those three are obsessed with Genova. Sephiroth going on and on about his mother was one thing. That was in small doses, but imagine that, but three times. It's fucking horrible. Mother this, mother that. Shut up about your mother. We don't care. Well, realistically, it's only two times because we're like Kadaj and two halves. <laughs> Cloud does end up meeting the three where they chase them on motorbikes and have a big bike fight scene. Yeah, just like in the video game. Remember when that happened in the video game? This is a reoccurring problem in this movie that the fights go on way too long and there's no progression to the story of a fight. Yeah, like the motorbike fight was like really cool and all, but all that really happened was that, like, they kind of knocked Cloud off his feet a little bit and smirked at him. It was just, we're going to bully and smirk at you. And then just fuck off and not do anything. Yeah, 
a recurring problem with this film. The action scene was really cool, but every time those fuckers opened their mouths, the coolness factor was completely depleted. The Sephirothes then go around Midgar Edge and gather up all the children with geostigma, including Denzel. Who we've not actually introduced to any of these people yet. Yeah, he is a child that seemingly Cloud and Tifa have adopted, lives with them and Barrett's daughter Marlene. So now it's Cloud's turn to be a shit father figure. Yes. Kadaj and the boys promise that they can cure the kids, but instead he's going to start using them to make a new reunion with Genova. So a fucking other reunion, really? Yes. Like, this has been done. Yeah, you can't do a reunion two years after the first reunion. The magic's already gone ten years, at least. Ten years. <laughs> but then, there is a sense with this movie, though, where it's trying to get across the idea of history repeating itself. Yeah, I think that is a thing they're trying to imply, however poorly. However poorly. They also kidnapped Marlene from Tifa because of reasons. Honestly, I didn't get why when I watched it. Yeah, it's almost like they were trying to find something for the children and Advent children to do. But yeah, they just kidnapped Marlene for no reason. Just thought, yes, we'll have this child. This child over here. Oh no, you know what it is? They're like, oh well, we're going to steal the material. Might as well steal this child while we're at it. Yeah, the lads steal the grip's material from Tifa and take Marlene while they're there too. Yeah, we might as well too for one deal. I couldn't get over the fact that Kadaj and the gang were literally going around rounding up children into their van like the fucking child catcher. <laughs> Ice cream, lollipops, cure for geostigma, a sense of family and belonging. I have got a puppy in the back, you want to pet it? <laughs> so Cloud then drives off to save the kids. And if I'm not mistaken, go to another continent, which has never explained how he crossed the water, but fine, no. Maybe it's just someone that looks like the Sleeping Forest. Maybe I'm just assuming that, but okay. He goes to save the kids, but the three Sephiroth thoughts kick his ass until Vincent shows up to save him. Goth vampire werewolf boy just turned up out of nowhere only to save Cloud. Yeah, savor this moment because this is the most you're going to see of the rest of the party apart from Tifa and Aerith daydreams that Cloud keeps having. Mm. You know, I do it all the time. Whenever I'm alone, I just daydream of other women. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? In the battle, though, Cloud and Vincent do manage to save Marlene. The important child. Yes, the only one who doesn't have Geostigma isn't cool enough to be in the Geostigma gang. (laughs) The dynamic between Kadaj and Cloud is such an interesting one. The theme of family bonds in Final Fantasy VII, it runs really deep. Kadaj and his brothers have mythologised Sephiroth and Genova just like Sephiroth did, and... They mythologise their ancestors just like Sephiroth did. They don't have an identity of their own because they keep calling themselves like remnants. Remnants of Sephiroth instead of finding who they actually are. The fact that they are Sephiroth clones trying to find their place in a world where Sephiroth is dead is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Like they are doing the same thing as their like father for lack of term did where they didn't know who they were and whatever they knew secondhand about their heritage, they clung on to and made it their whole thing. Mm-hmm. Their plan to turn the people infected with Genova cells into, like, basically soldiers. It's their way of trying to impress Genova and Sephiroth. In a warped way, create their own sense of family. The scene where Kadash baptises the orphans in the live stream and promises them family and security and wellness, it's an incredibly provoking scene. It's ominous, and in isolation, it's really well done. Maybe a bit on the nose with the baptism thing, Mm -hmm. but that imagery actually worked really well. 
using religious symbolism in this case, just like how they worship Genova and Sephiroth, they won't stop going on about them. You think it's very deep, but if you ask me, it's just very on the nose. Oh, they're indoctrinating the kids through religion slash baptism slash life stream. But there was a way that you could make the dynamic between those brothers and Cloud work, exploring that theme. There was something there, but it's just stuffed full of other nonsense that doesn't need to be there. The whole movie is other nonsense that doesn't need to be there. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Cloud feels sorry for himself until Marlene says no. And this is also the point where it's revealed that Cloud also suffers from geostigma. So now we go back to Midgar to try and save the kids for a second time. I think it's very interesting that after the big build-up they had for the child army, actually, unironically, very good scene of Kadaj indoctrinating the kids. They just stand around not doing anything. I really didn't think in my life I would ever say this, but I'm a bit annoyed they didn't do more of the child army. I know, because like... the. <laughs> They all go back to Midgar Edge and they gather around this monument to Meteor. Because, you know, the big monument in New York with the two planes that hit the towers. Yeah, we're going to have a big monument about Meteor. No, that's kind of, like, understandable, though. Yeah, a memorial to the people that died, yes. They didn't bronze the planes. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. So the kids all gather around this statue and then they're just stand there just being vaguely evil yeah they've got their little cat eyes because they're under the influence of the genova cells i'm not even selling for comic effect here they're just literally doing nothing <laughs> they're literally doing nothing kids today just standing around <laughs> like for a film called advent children the children in advent children do nothing there's no point in having the children in a film called advent children it is so goddamn clear to me that they thought of that name before they wrote the movie right okay we've called the film advent children but what do we have fuck we've got to put kids in it i mentally i cut this from the final fantasy 7 episode because it was already long enough but there was a whole naming convention they did with the compilation of final fantasy project advent children before crisis crisis core dodger cerberus ac bc cc dc well doc so clearly they had to come up with something that had started AC for this movie. Someone with a vague grasp of English said Advent Children, and they worked backwards from that title. Always rookie mistake of writing is you do not write the title first. But even then, writing for a title first can serve as an interesting writing prompt. A writing prompt when you're having fun? Sure. This is a fucking million dollar movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Kadaj summons this evil version of Bahamut, which is one of the dragon summons from the actual game. I'll give all the listeners a moment to have the implied nerdgasm we're all supposed to be having right now. This is when the rest of the party all show up to take the occasional pot shots at the dragon. So this is where we finally see people like, there's Barrett and Sid and Yuffie and the rest. Yeah. The other party members have little snippets of cameo here and there. Like, very inconsequential, but like, just, oh, hey, Rem- Barrett's there. Remember Barrett? Yeah, oh, there's the voicemails. Cloud's phone's fallen down the toilet. I mean, live stream. <laughs> and it's suddenly just playing all the voicemail messages he's not checked. <sighs> to make sure that, yes, these people exist. So then now they can come to the epic fight. Yeah, they, they help out a little bit in the dragon fight here. But by help out, I mean just take a very occasional blow. Yeah, like, 
When I first saw it, though, I thought it was, like, kind of epic. It's a real moment of the cavalry arriving. Yeah, it was cool. We'll have the cavalry show up, slash one guy, and then stand on the wings and watch the kings fight. Yeah, basically. Because while they're fighting the dragon, they have this one big scene. Because it's up in the sky and Cloud can't jump that high for some reason on this occasion. Uh, he's, he's running up buildings at later points, but for this one point, he can't jump that high. So kind of everyone gives him a boosty up. It's a nice little piece of symbolism. Yeah, so just like a seven slash eight way boosty, if you include like an ethereal earth doing the last one. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And, you know, the power of friendship. It cements that moment. Where it's like, Cloud, you can count on your friends. Oh, I can count on my friends. Yes, you can count on your friends, because now they're going to go up to the high wind and watch the rest of this movie with us. Oh, my fucking Christ. I cannot believe, to this day, they just sat in the high wind and said, Ah, Cloud's got it. It's fine. He'll take care of it. Have some material. Go to town. We'll be back in time for the finale. Because they literally have a scene where they're like, should we go and help? Nah, it's fine. It's fine. No, genuinely, I think Barrett and Yuffie are like, hey, shouldn't we go and help? And everyone's like, they shout at Yuffie like, shut up, you stupid ghetto. Help. Help, Cloud. Help the leader of our party. You think we're on any level to help Cloud? (laughs) Fuck you for suggesting we help our friend. We're going to sit here like a bunch of Tumbies with our thumbs up and arses <laughs> <laughs> and do literally nothing for the rest of the movie. Oh, this is also where we find out that Rufus has been hiding the Genova cells in his wheelchair. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> he pulls out Genova's head in a little case to Kadash and is like, Oh, a good son would have spotted it sooner. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Why? Why did you hide it under your wheelchair? Why did you hide it under your wheelchair? And secondly, why did you then stand up because you didn't need the wheelchair this entire time and then just threw the cells off the building? No, nah, to be fair, like you get people who are wheelchair users who don't need to use the wheelchair all the time. Right, okay, fair enough. Still my question though, why would he then, after going so far to hide these cells, then just idly throw it off the building? <laughs> He's wanting to see if Kadaz jumps off the building after it. That's why. I, I don't know any other reason why he'd do that. Yeah, just doing that. I think this will make the plot more interesting. Yeah. You know how you get, like, cats will, like, bump stuff off of shelves? Yeah. And they'll just, occasionally, <laughs> they'll just look at you as they do it. As they paw, they push the paw, like, you know, your your fragile vase, your grandma's ashes, and the cat just watch you, look in the eye, as it paws it off the edge. That is the exact vibes that it gave me. So, yeah, Rufus throws it off the building so Kadash can't catch it. Lo and behold, Kadaj catches it. Yeah, Kadaj is like basically Superman. So like, of course he's going to catch it. He's going to dive off a building to save his maw. So this is where the movie decides that we need another massive bike chase scene where Cloud manages to stop the other two. <laughs> yeah, the other two are just there. <laughs> yeah, Kazoo and Lazoo, whatever the names are. <laughs> yeah. uh. Kazzy and Lazzy. Curly Whirly. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to the final fight of Cloud versus Kadaj. Oh no, no, wait, no. It's not Cloud and Kadaj. Not anymore. He suddenly transforms into Sephiroth. He's a puppet of Sephiroth the whole time. He just magically turns into Sephiroth for yeah. no reason. Yeah, he opens the Genova cells and just necks it like a beer. You know, Stone Cold with his beers. <laughs> it comes just Sephiroth. Now, admittedly, at this point, they did play One Winged Angel, because that is just Sephiroth's theme song. You've got to play One Winged Angel. They had to play it in the movie somehow. But how do we play the Sephiroth theme if Sephiroth's not alive anymore? 
I know, we'll just make him Kadash. Yeah, it's not like Kadash then looks like Sephiroth or just gets his powers. He just seemingly voice changes, body changes. I am no Sephiroth. Hi, lads. Hello, Cloud. It was very good to see you again. We meet again, Mr. Cloud. <laughs> I mean, he somehow turns into Sephiroth with all of Sephiroth's memories, plans, voice, and even his sword. Yeah. Why? Because we need Sephiroth in our Final Fantasy VII movie, Sandro. Get with it. By the power of children's wishes slash Genova cells. <laughs> I do believe in Sephiroth. I do. I do. We get more fighting. Cloud wins by using what I think is supposed to be a limit break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Omni Slash. Doesn't Sephiroth use Omni Slash at one point? Sephiroth just stabs him. No, Sephiroth, like, he does the Omni Slash thing and also stabs him. I, we're being pedantic here now. Yeah, it doesn't I'm, matter. Yeah, because the problem with a lot of these fight scenes, it's just mindless back and forth thing. It's clearly the only thing that these people put any thought into. There's not been, like, the linking up of the fight scenes and how they actually do anything and move the plot forward. Yeah. They've just gone like, Oh, wow, I'm going to have Sephiroth fighting Cloud. That looks so cool. Wow. And then we're going to have the scene where Cloud has been stabbed by Sephiroth and he's holding him up with the sword like they did in the game. Remember that scene in the game? Yeah. No. <laughs> no I'm kidding. I remember that scene. Right. With, with Sephiroth beaten by this limit break, Sephiroth turns back into Kadad just for the convenience of dying. I've died already before. I'm not doing that again. Fuck you. You didn't technically beat me because I was Kadash back then. I didn't lose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Technically, you beat Kadash. And he's like lying in Cloud's lap and he's like, I'm dying, Cloud. I don't remember how Cloud reacted. I think he's just staring at him like, what the fuck is going on here? And like he sees like an Aerith in the clouds and he's like, mother. <laughs> and, you know, thinking that that's Genova. Assuming that, you know, a loving female motherly figure in the sky is his mother. That's a very heartbreaking thing to assume considering Genova is a fucking bitch. Aerith's just sitting there going, oh, this is a wee bit awkward. I was actually hoping to talk to Cloud. <laughs> no, I think she says at one point, like, why does everyone keep calling me their mother recently? <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a life in the movie. That's not my king. What the fuck? And by the way, you may have noticed that we're not really talking about much of what Cloud says for the very obvious reason that Cloud doesn't say much. It is consistent with his character, though, because he is not equipped to deal with emotional situations. That is not Cloud's character. Cloud was very equipped to deal with emotional situations. He just was very distant until the subject of Sephiroth came up. Now he is just a despondent dickhead. Yeah. I think that's another example as to why that dynamic's been squandered. Because there wasn't much time given to the dynamic between them, which could have been good. That sense of like dysfunctional family type thing that Kadaj is clinging on to. No matter how shit it is, it's still my family, it's still mine. In that sense, it could have been good, but I think the fact that Cloud doesn't see anything is just, it completely squanders whatever could have been done with that. Yeah. I cannot emphasise enough how much the rest of the party staying in the high wind annoyed me. It would have made a lot more sense if they're not physically able to be in the fight. Like, if they're still fighting Bahamut or Weapon or whatever it was... They physically couldn't help Cloud. That would have made sense. That fight scene with Cloud and Sephiroth is epic and cool and all. But you know what else is cool? Plot. The power of friendship. The whole point of the last game. You defeat Sephiroth as part of a party. You do it as a team. There's the scene in Cloud's head where he defeats him alone. But that's a psychological thing. And that was supposed to be a metaphor for 
him trying to move on from that. Now, trauma isn't that clear cut. It's not always that linear. And exploring how Cloud has reacted and kind of regressed into his old ways after what happened is interesting. And then you know, there's the moment where they'd like the punty up and it was all like, yeah, power of friendship. And then, nah, Cloud's got it. You can take care of it. I guess that's what the fight scenes are, though. It just dawned on me. Clearly, it's just they're going back and forth until someone depletes the other person's HP. And then suddenly the person just turns to red and disappears. Yeah. Because it first feels that anticlimactic of just now they're allowed to win the fight. At least the Sephiroth fight ended with a climax. Every other fight had like a climax, but they got back up anyway. It had a climax and they got back up anyway. But with the Sephiroth fight, there was like this one final move. Also, the two other brothers just turn up out of nowhere. It's Kadaja's like, we should have the golden line going, Mother, I'm coming. Not in that way. but And then like the two other guys are just there. You know, as Kadaja's disintegrating into like, golden life streamy stuff they're also there even though like i know that it wasn't worth mentioning that bike chase but they were blown up in a tunnel yeah but and no- they just walk back in they just walk up to that huge big high bit that cloud and kadaja are at and just be like oh turning into cloud dust yeah because nothing kills anyone in this movie other than plot convenience yeah Anyway, we get a little epilogue now where all the kids are taken to Aerith's church in the slums where the water is healing them through the power of Aerith. And they do a similar scene. Like, oh, come into the water and be healed. Exactly the same as what was done pretty effectively last time. But, oh, it's in a proper church this time. And it's good water. They're not getting baptised with that Baptist evil. No, it's a good Catholic baptism this time. <laughs> it did mildly annoy me, though, that Aerith in the rain just fixed everything. Yeah, yeah, and all the geostigma's gone, everything's all cured, it's the end. Yeah, that actually annoyed me quite a lot. I mean, I know that Aerith's powers did save everything in the last bit, but this time it was like, okay, Aerith fixed everything and it's all fine. Everything's fine, no one's ever going to be sad ever again. And the film ends with them all having a pool party in the church. <laughs> but yeah, that's the end of the movie. Yeah, that's it. Listener, you may have think, like, this is an hour and a half movie. How's it taking them only 30 minutes to summarise the whole thing? Because fucking nothing happens. Like, there are things that happen, and there's, like, things that could have been interesting, and so many, like, stupid plot things that happen all at once. But then I am probably also thinking, just read fan fiction. Whatever fan fiction writer you read will probably do a better job than they did with this movie. I'm sorry, but... It may seem like we're skipping things out, but we're really not. I mean... The only thing we've not included is that Cloud sometimes daydream of Aerith and Zack. Yeah. And you get Reno and Rude bumbling through the movie and just being comic side characters. I actually didn't know Reno had a mullet until I saw this film. And it made me think of that question they asked in Moment of Truth. It's like, do you only have a mullet because you think it attracts women? Yes. No, you wear a mullet because that's what you want in life. You want business up front and party in the back. <laughs> The plot of Final Fantasy VII took over 9,000 words to summarise. This took me 800. To be fair, we also did know, like, what was really extraneous and what could just get cut out. Yeah. There was a lot of kernels of things that could have worked and could have been interesting, but were completely squandered because whoever made this movie, they were too busy thinking of how many references and cool moments can we put in without actually thinking how would this piece together. The problem being is that a lot of the runtime of the movie is just that they've padded the scenes to oblivion. I'm talking Dragon Ball Z levels of padding. At least in Dragon Ball Z, though, you would have, like, the the dialogue of how each punch matters to the flow of the fight. None of that here. It's just mindless back and forthing. I'll say this. The film for the time, it looks really good. The visuals hold up pretty well. There's the odd thing that I'm kind of like, not sure about that. But a lot, most of it looks really good. 
So if you want recreations of your favourite characters and cool action scenes with those characters and just switch your brain off, you might be able to enjoy it. If there's one adjective which comes to mind when I think of this movie, it's just the word loud. Yeah. It's a big, loud movie. The fight scenes are big and destructive. The movie walks with this energy that just says volume, you know? Yeah. Like, all it needs to do is just shout, Final Fantasy VII! Loud enough until we start taking it seriously. Yeah. But if you actually listen to what the movie is saying, it is saying nothing. Yeah, it's kind of... I don't know, I feel that, like, you know, expanding on the foundations that Final Fantasy VII left, considering how much there is, it should be a bit of a slam dunk. There's a lot of really cool things you could do, even if you're going to add, like, you know, the direct-to-VHS Disney sequel antagonists. Even those could have been really interesting if if they knew what to do with them. Because There's so much that they just there that they just didn't know what to do with and didn't really care to know what to do with. Genuine question I have about this, right? Okay. What did this movie tell you that you didn't get from the original game? And outside of things like, you know, Rufus lives and that meteor didn't kill everyone. What did you learn about the characters that you didn't already know? What did you find out about anyone that was a surprise to you? I think the only thing that they really added was COVID. I mean, Geostigma. That, but that's nothing. It's, it adds nothing to the story. It wasn't like I sat there at the end of that game going, I wonder if getting rid of Mako had any kind of like coal lung going around. Yeah, I mean, it's something for me, it's like these little kernels that could have been good if they cared to explore it, but that wasn't really what they were trying to do. Yeah, they, they weren't trying to say anything. It was so obvious from this that they were not trying to say a single thing. I don't think this is like, you know, a hot take or anything, but Final Fantasy VII as a text is a pretty complex one. Mm hmm. Real hot takes only on this podcast. Right, but here's the thing about complex stories. There's many loose threads that could be tied up. Yes. And they didn't tie up a single bloody one. One thing it didn't answer for me was how did Red, the last of his kind, manage to have two cups? Yeah, that's not answered. That's something I want to know. I want to know who Red fucks. <laughs> now, there's one thing I've been keeping secret from you until now, okay? Oh, God. This is not the very first Final Fantasy movie. Uh-huh. Back in 2001, Square themselves led production of a movie called Final Fantasy Spirits Within. Mm -hmm. With Sakaguchi himself, who was the producer of Final Fantasy VII, at the helm of this movie. Which I'll admit is proof that he is not the only thing needed to make Final Fantasy good. Which should go as far to let you know that Spirits Within was considered a technical achievement, but a storytelling disaster. And a box office bomb. Yeah, yeah. Like visually, for a 3D movie, it was ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. In 2001, it's competing with things like Toy Story 2. They've captured a realism with faces that was lauded. It was called a technical achievement, but the story was dog shit. I think Square have gone into Advent Children with that scar fully on display. Right. They kept the story bland and instead focused on the visual strength of that 2001 movie. Oh. I don't think it's an unfair thing to say that that movie's plot only exists to string together the visual scenes. Yeah. It's so clear to me that it was visuals first and story will write round it. Yeah, the writers were writing around the fight scenes, basically. You do have that sense, you know? But that's the problem, right? That's just, that right there is the crux of the problem of this movie. A fight scene with no story is not entertaining. Yeah. I watch wrestling, right? Mm. I love it when in wrestling they have this thing which is like, oh, he's going for the arm, which will stop him using his finisher. Because it's logical storytelling sense. 
That's why when the character then rises up and gets over that pain to do their finisher, which involves pressure on their arm, it's exciting because it's a weakness they've gotten over. I think also with wrestling, as far as I've seen with it, different moves have a different shorthand and symbolism. Exactly, and that's how it should be for all story-told fight scenes. Every punch, sword swipe, tactic, gambit brings the fighter closer to victory. When you watch the Rocky movies, they sell how these particular punches are affecting Rocky and what he has to get over when he's knocked down, why he's so groggy. It's because of the punches of Clubber Lang. And then you get to see how Rocky's punches affect Clubber Lang in return. Fight scenes without storytelling are just noise. Yeah. And that's all this movie is, is noise. So with Spirits Within, when you said uh, the storytelling was dog shit, was it as in like, what is going on with this absolute train wreck? Like a car wreck you can't look away from. Funny she's asked, because we're going to watch that movie and the credits of this episode are going to give... No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not going to... I wouldn't recommend watching it. Because though the story is just completely overwritten and unengaging. So it's not like completely nuts and off the wall. Mm, it's too complicated for an hour and a half story they're trying to tell. Maybe if they had a full game to explore this world, it would still suck ass, because I'm thinking Final Fantasy XIII. It's just not well written. Yeah. I remember, like, people have a lot of problems with The Last Jedi, and it is totally fair. But I'm someone who I preferred that to The Force Awakens, because The Last Jedi tried new things. It took risks. There were some things that were really good, but there were some risks that just didn't pay off at all. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that The Force Awakens didn't take any risks. You oh, know it, what did, it, it did not. You know what it did do? It established how a characters ended up after the sixth movie. It established what happened to the world after the sixth movie. It established what the plan is going forward for these new movies. That's true. It didn't push the boat out. I completely understand that. It is just a redux of movies four, five, and six. Absolutely fair thing to say. I still sit here and go that that was enjoyable because they gave the audience something to watch or made them intrigued to find out more. Advent Children doesn't. It is not an exciting addition to a story you've already had. It is not interesting. Yeah. I mean, The Last Jedi, as not great as it was, was very interesting. <laughs> Sadly, we don't have like a rating system to go through that like we do with our regular episodes. SideQuest is just a chance for us to experiment with different formats and try new things. So as a kind of conclusion, all I can really ask, are you in any way interested to find out what happened in Before Crisis, Crisis Core, and Dirge of Cerberus? I don't really. Honestly, I'd rather read some good fan fiction. I'd rather consume some good fan-made media because as terrible as some of it is, a lot of fans of media understand it in a way that creators don't. Mm -hmm. They've got a new perspective on it. Fans and their creations expanding on the lore can do that if they do it well. Here's actually another question for you then. How do you feel about the Final Fantasy brand after seeing this movie? Uh, not gonna lie. Yeah, I don't know. I don't hate Final Fantasy VII. I still have a lot of love for it. It's put me off a little bit, mm -hmm. but not enough to the point that I wouldn't want to try any other Final Fantasy games. I've got a little bit less faith in the creative minds behind Final Fantasy VII because it's very apparent to me that they didn't understand what made Final Fantasy VII great. Like, all the themes and all the character stuff that I found in it and I thought was kind of genius is something that they didn't really consider or think about, which makes me think that it was an accident, which is not a fair thing to think 
and I don't think that's really true, but that's the impression that Advent Children gives me, was that there's just something missing, there's been a gap in knowledge from someone. There's a lesson in that people have a habit, especially, I've noticed this with Doctor Who, for example, Mm -hmm. that people, like, they expect perfection from the showrunners each and every season. They expect it to be just as good as the season they love most. With a show that changes itself up so often as Doctor Who, it's impossible to meet those standards. There's going to be things that they'll miss. Doctor Who wants to keep moving on into the future, for the most part. Yes, and I feel that Square want to do the same with Final Fantasy. Yeah, I think that them delving more into the world of Final Fantasy VII, it felt maybe just a bit out of their comfort zone. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I come away from this movie feeling cheated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The meaningful story I had with this game feels broken. Yeah. We gushed about that in our episode. Mm -hmm. And now they're doing a game soon called Ever Crisis, which is going to tell the story of Final Fantasy VII with all of the extended lore put into it. And I couldn't care less. Not only because right now it only seems to be a mobile game. Mm. I just don't know what more I need from the story now. Red Shadow Legends, basically. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean about that. That was what felt like three hours of my life I couldn't get back. How long was the movie again? Two hours. It would be interesting to see how they reappraise all the lore going forward and how they tidy things up a little bit. That would be really interesting to see, but I don't have much faith in it. If it's a team that don't quite get the just of what made it good, then I just I don't have any hope for it. I think just better off move into the future. It's one of the reasons why I'm not really interested in playing the rest of the remake. As good as it's going to look, well, I've played Final Fantasy VII before, and we know what happened. And the last time I consumed more Final Fantasy VII media, I wasted hours of my life. Hmm. So, like, just move on, I suppose. Yeah. Tell you what. How about we ask the listener what they think? Do tweet us about this. Tell us what you think of Advent Children. Has this movie ruined the brand for you, or do you think it gave you something that you didn't have before? I would really love to know. Tweet me at StarterQuest. Have a conversation with me. I'll happily discuss it with you. I'm also on Reddit. If you want to look up you slash StarterQuest, I'm usually posting things around the podcast there, but you can reach out to me there. I'll happily chat with you. And thank you for taking a little jump with us down the other side quest. We've done two now, so it is now a brand. Yes. And don't worry for all those Duke Nukem fans. The Duke Nukem episode is still coming. We are at the point now where we're ready to record it. That is coming soon. Yeah. Also, if you've made it this far into the episode and you liked Advent Children, thank you. Thank you for that. It's good to hear a dissenting opinion and help to look critically at the things you love. If you've got a thing you really love, it's hard to hear people slate it. So, like, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It always helps us get more noticed. And until next time, it'll be a goodbye from me, Alessandro. And a goodbye from me, Jen. Side quest completed. Side quest completed.